Good morning to a good afternoon to all of you. It is good to be together today and to open up God's Word. We'll be finishing our summer challenge from Romans chapter 12. We did take four weeks out of a break um, to learn about what it means to be a living sacrifice and, and what that looks like and to use our spiritual gifts in the church of Christ, of which, and I know we do have some visitors, we, you should belong to a church. If not this church, another church, so that you can be plugged in and have all the benefits of serving and being loved on and being cared for. A sad reality is that God's people have been persecuted throughout history. You look at the history of Israel, for example. Israel was a a persecuted people. You look at Christians around the world throughout the centuries and how they have been persecuted. Just July 28th, just uh, on my wife's birthday, just a few weeks ago in India, there was a, a pastor and his wife that was attacked by Hindu extremists with iron chains and beat them to a pulp. They did survive and was rushed to the hospital, but imagine that. People that hate you for your faith coming with iron chains and clubs to come and beat you up. Why? Because you love God, the God of the Bible. As of uh, the month of July in Canada, there's been such a Canada of all places, right? Such a, a, a hatred against Christian churches. 48 churches have been torched to the ground. We just don't hear about that. We'll hear about one or we'll hear about, the, you know, I had no idea there was 48. And then you just look at church history. You look at Jim Elliott, missionary, young man with his, his, his friends, and, and they go to minister to the, the Aka Indians. And, and, and what happens is these are savages, and, and he and his friends were slaughtered. You look at some of the reformers. Um, William Tyndale, who actually helped to tra- translate the Bible into English, burned at the stake, and other reformers, John Huss and so on. God's people are persecuted and will be persecuted and have been persecuted. Now, the unique thing about those of us that live in the United States of America, we have this thing called the United States Constitution. Has anybody heard of that? We all, we've all heard of that, right? I think our politicians have forgotten it. But, um, but that Constitution, in a sense, has, protects religious freedoms, Right? amongst other things. At least that was the intent. And so, in a sense, those of us who are Christians that are from here, we've lived in a little bit of a bubble, right? When's the last time somebody came barging through your door with iron chains and clubs to beat you up for your faith, right? We, we, we've had this protection, and so we can lose sense of reality, which is a reality around the world. Now, I think in the last decade or two, there's been such a slide um, a downgrade, as it were, and greater opposition to churches. I wouldn't be surprised in the next few years if they take away tax-exempt status, which will drastically affect the, the cause of the gospel and the spread of the gospel and the resources that we have for the kingdom of God. But all of this is designed by our sovereign God, right, for our good. So how is the church, and how are you Christian, individual Christians, called to respond to persecution. Is it murder those that disagree with you, like some of the extreme Muslims would? You disagree with me, you're dead, right? Is is that the, the response we're called to? The Apostle Paul actually tells us what we are to do 
in the midst of these series of exhortations, and it comes right in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. And then if you missed it, he repeats it. Bless. And then if you still missed the double bless, and curse not. Those are three commands back to back. Bless, bless, do not curse. That's the response the word to have. Well, we've been enjoying, I hope you've enjoyed um, some of these sermons through this series. We began in verses 1 and 2, we're to live our lives as a living sacrifice, negatively not being conformed to the world, positively renewing our mind. Verses 3 to 8, we're to use the spiritual gifts in the church, and there's a whole various gifts of speaking gifts and serving gifts, and we have, oper- we have openings right now. We have openings, and they're actually free. You don't even have to pay. They're free to serve here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, we have many needs, especially with ushering and setup and those kinds of things. And it's, it's a joy to actually serve because we're, we're one body, but many individual members of it, right? That's a beautiful thing. And then last week, verses 9 to 13, we, we saw this. Let love be genuine or without hypocrisy. And that's sort of the header. And then all of these many participle, participles that carry the force of commands. I'll reread that for us as when I read the text. But we need to be devoted to one another. Devoted in prayer. That means we need to actually know each other so we know how to pray for each other, right? We need to be serving the Lord with diligence and zeal. We need to be, as it says in verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, koinonia, meeting practical needs, and then practicing hospitality. So that's what we are called to do. And today we're going to see more of these commands. I've titled the message, Bless Those That Persecute You, but we're going to see a whole host of continued exhortations to not take revenge, to love our enemies, to be at peace with all men. These, these are important things we're going to look at. So follow along with me. I'm going to begin at verse 9. Our text is 14 to 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. Remember the homework I gave you last week? Did you guys do any of that? To reread the, that, that little section of Scripture a few times, use the church directory to be praying for one another. Verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not not be overcome by evil, but overcome 
evil with good. Let's pray. Father, it is relatively easy to read the words of which I've just read. It's relatively easy for those uh, sitting and listening to hear those words read. But Lord, we confess it is very difficult to put all of these things into practice. But we know by those of us who have been born again that by the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside, we are able to do these things and we should strive to do these things for your glory and for the good of your people. So Lord, we pray that you'd be with us even now in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue uh, this series, if you are committed to Christ, you will encounter opposition and persecution. It will come your way. If it hasn't, if you've been in Christ any length of time, whether that's you know uh, favoritism towards others in a classroom setting, whether that's with an employer, you're passed over for a promotion because you're a Jesus freak and the other person you know, maybe is as carnal as a goat. But indeed, all who live, desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so we would expect that from outside of the church, but sometimes even inside the church there's conflict and there's some exhortations to us here as well. You see, when we open our hearts and we open our homes and we open our very selves up, what happens? We make ourselves vulnerable, right? We, we, we open ourselves up. We let people get very close. And what happens is sometimes that person will then take that and turn it around and use that to harm you. Does that mean we should just crawl into our closets and be stoics? No, not at all. We're, we should desire. Now, verses 9 to 13 really speak of a proactive love. All these things that we should be doing, right? And verses 14 to 21, it's a reactive love. How do we respond to insults and persecution? How do we react? How do we retaliate to those inside the church and to those outside of the church? We must remember that just as surely as we have been saved by grace, we must daily seek by that grace. Showing love to enemies can be difficult. There was once an Anabaptist back in the 16th century named Dirk Williams and he was convicted by the Spanish Catholics in Netherlands. And to be an Anabaptist is to believe in believer's baptism, and that was against the law in some of these countries during those times, right? So he's convicted. How dare you go and be baptized and say the baptism in the Catholic Church is not, not valid? And so he was convicted, sentenced to die, but he escaped. He let himself down by tying sheets together, and he actually escaped. And and it was a pond behind the prison, and as he's running across the pond in winter, it's ice, and he's running, but he was poorly fed, so he was skinny. But when the, the guard came after him, a big, much larger guy, he's running and chasing him down, chasing him down, and he falls into the ice. Now, I suppose Dirk could have considered, yes, I'm scot-free now, I can get away. But instead, he turned around and went back and saved his life. The ungrateful guard seized Dirk and led him back into prison. After all this, Dirk was still burned to death as punishment for his Baptist beliefs. Imagine how this Anabaptist must have felt. No one recognized this good deed. He just saved somebody's life. No one recognized that at all. And sometimes when we bless and when we show mercy, the only one that sees is God. 
That deed did not go unnoticed to the sovereign God. So let's dive into our text. Just two simple points. Again, verses 14 and 16. Your Christian duties towards everyone. And first of all, verse 14. Seek to bless those that seek to harm you. And you say, well, what does it mean to bless? Is it just a say a word type of thing? Well, there's several different ideas here, but it's it actually has the idea of asking God for special favor upon this person, to, to bless, calling upon God's blessing. He says, bless those that persecute you. It's the same word that he used just a few words earlier when it says practicing hospitality. Remember, I told you that means to pursue, actively chase after Well, that's what the word persecute has as its underlying meaning here. And of course, this is in the context of to do harm. And these are, as I said, three commands. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Three commands crunched so closely together. Um, One grammarian phrased it like this. Be constantly, because of the present tense, be constantly blessing those who are constantly persecuting you. This does not mean that we are just to withhold evil and cursing upon our enemies, but we are to positively pray for their good. This is convicting stuff. When we bless others, we are beseeching God to extend His blessings to them, even though they may not deserve it. You think of the ironic blessing in in, uh, Numbers chapter 6, where It says, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. That's the idea. So remember that, number 6, verse 24 and following, the next time there's someone that, that has harmed you, those who desire to persecute you are those who we are to bless. And if your persecutor is a Christian, because sometimes it might be, right, in a different nuanced context, remember that Christ has died for their sins as well. And so, do not curse. It reinforces what Paul is saying here. We, we can't have the slightest desire for vengeance that, for, on those that, that persecute you that must be put off. It's kind of like the spirit of James and John. Remember where it says in Luke 9, when his disciples James and John saw This, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down out of heaven and consume them? That's the idea here. And Jesus says, you don't know of what spirit you are. We are to bless. This is contrary to our sinful nature. Our sinful nature is one of selfishness. We want to protect ourselves. We want to defend ourselves. That is our normal nature. John Calvin said hardly one in a hundred wishes well to him from whom he has received an injury. But God, by his word, not only restrain our hands from doing evil, but also subdues the bitter feelings within. And not only so, but he would have us be solicitous for well-being on those that, who unjustly trouble us and seek our destruction." Where do we see this demonstrated? You think of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. The sinless one nailed to a cross, right? 
And there he is on the cross looking at his persecutors, looking at the Roman guards that that drove the spikes through his wrists and his feet. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What manner of love is that? Or, or, or think with me in Acts chapter 7, right? Stephen is making his defense before the religious rulers and the Pharisees. And, and what happens? They begin to stone him. And as the stones are coming, and more and more blood is gushing, and bones are cracking and breaking, what does Stephen say? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do you know who was present that day? You know. The Apostle Paul. Can you imagine those words as as an extreme Pharisee and hearing that? How could he say that? Haunting him. Because you get to Acts 9 and you see his conversion, right? On the Damascus Road. And perhaps those very words out of Stephen's mouth was an instrument of conviction upon the Apostle Paul. These are just a few examples of what it means to bless our persecutors. Well, verse 15, open yourself up emotionally. Some people say, I'm not an emotional person, right? And, and that kind of thing. But, but here we're told to rejoice with those that rejoice, weep with those that weep. What does that mean? We open ourselves up emotionally to others. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And this takes an investment on our part. We are to show pity and compassion upon those that suffer loss. Do you remember Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus? What is the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept, right? We all know it. And truly rejoice with those that rejoice and, 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 and don't resist showing emotion. Make your, make sure your emotion's not phony, but it's, it's legit and, and, you know, God doesn't want us to be stoics. There's some personality types, engineer types, that are just kind of plain deadpan with very little emotion ever shown, right? And he says, open ourselves up. Jesus experienced many different human emotions in his humanity, right? He sympathizes with us as our great high priest, Hebrews 4 and verse 15. He's a man of sorrows. He understands what it is to sorrow. Jesus rejoiced, Matthew 11 and 19. And he also displays anger in John chapter 2 when he overturned the money tables. Right? Remember when they were making the temple, um, selling all that in the temple? Well, we're to weep with those that weep. A story was told about a, a little boy who, next door neighbor, his next door neighbor, an older gentleman's wife, had just passed away. And he would go over there and frequent every now and again. And so he went over there and he saw the elderly man crying on his porch. And he climbed into his lap and he sat there. And later his mother asked the boy what he had said to the saddened neighbor. And the child said, nothing. I just helped him cry. And you know, sometimes in those situations, in our wits and in our Wisdom, limited wisdom, we think, oh, I got just the thing to say, you know, just to drive this home. And sometimes we, we can say the wrong thing. Sometimes the best thing to do is not say anything at all and just be there with the person that is sad, that is weeping, that's facing profound sorrow. 
I can assure you, you will be hurt if you open yourself up in this way. And rejoicing with those that rejoice, you'd think, oh, that'd be much easier than weeping with those that weep. But what if you're called to rejoice with those that rejoice when you're going through it? You're like low down here. And what happens when you begin to rejoice with them, you begin to think, well, God, why am I so miserable down here? And it can lead to all manner of emotions that we must guard against, envy and such things. So it's a sin to be emotionally indifferent in the context of the New Testament church. To be self-centered and unmoved by someone's calamity. Well, he moves right on, and you can see how these are connected, right? Verse 16, be of the same mind with the brethren. He's really got four short phrases in this verse. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. You know, William Henderson in his commentary, he he just paraphrased it like this. Do not be snobbish. I like that. Be of the same mind. Each of us should enter into the same feelings and desires to have one mind and unity. And Paul is really rebuking and exposing pride, isn't he? Not to be haughty in mind. Not to be conceited. A conceited Christian is a contradiction. And in order to live in harmony, we need to be of the same mind, to have the common love for Christ and and the goals to serve Him and see His kingdom expanded. Paul says in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfishness in empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. The church of Christ can use some extra doses of humility, right? We are all prone to pride, and we need to be careful to mortify that. We also need to realize we're not always going to have every single smallest detail that same opinion on certain things. Pride destroys unity. Most divisions in the church isn't necessarily over core doctrines. It's over personalities and the, the petty things. I just heard of a, a church that a friend of mine's at. They actually, two churches merged together some years back, and four years ago, and just recently they decided it's better to unmerge. And I remember meeting with that pastor after two years. I said, that's really hard for, you know, um, for that to actually work because of everything. He said, yeah, it's just amazing. The Lord's just so kind. And then I just heard that they had to separate again. And it wasn't over core doctrine. It's not like one group began to deny the Trinity or anything like that. But petty differences, you know, um, you know, they're they're replacing the carpet here. I can imagine that maybe there's so many um, Indians involved in the discussion that some want blue and some want this and some want the checkered and some want that. You know that that there can be little divisions, even over musical styles. Maybe you prefer hymns, and maybe others prefer anything but hymns. <laughs> And, uh, you know, those kinds of things can um, lead us to get tripped up. We need to be careful to keep the main things the main things. Proverbs 3 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And associate with the lowly, the outcast, the, the poor, the homeless. Uh, John MacArthur says, not because they are more important, but because they are more needy. Luke 
chapter 14. You'll remember this when our Lord Jesus said, and he went on to say to the one who had been, who invited him, when you give it a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite only your friends and brothers and relatives and neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return that you, that, that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have any means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. James 2 talks about not showing partiality, right? Favoritism. You come up here and sit in the best seat, right? And then a poor man comes in. You sit down here by my footstool in the back. So that's our first point, those verses. Secondly, your Christian duties to your enemies Verse 17, never pay back evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. We're called to not retaliate when wrongs are come our way. It's, the, the, the vindictive spirit needs to be mortified and removed from us. Vindictiveness is a desire to get even with someone for a suffered wrong. Our sinful nature violently rebels and wants to react and retaliate or get even. God's even designed the animal kingdom, right? Do you think of a, a blowfish? What happens when, when, how does it respond to trouble? Blows itself up, right? Or how about a skunk? God's made a skunk in such a way that when a threat comes, what happens? You don't ever want to be sprayed, right? It's this foul odor that the skunk sprays upon enemies. It's contrary to our human nature to love our enemies. The skunk doesn't say, hey, I'll squirt it this way because I love you so much. No, he's, he's aiming for you, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world and the dregs of all things even until now. Peter says, do not repay evil with evil and insults for insults, but blessing with blessing. You see this demonstrated, and we don't have time to turn there, but if you're looking for something to read later, 1 Samuel chapter 24. You know, the situation of King David and Saul, and Saul is actually still king now, I believe, but where he sneaks into the cave and he even cuts part of the robe off of Saul and later communicates that I could have taken your life, I could have taken you out. And eventually what happens is um, Saul says, you are a better man than me. And respect the right uh, that in the sight of all men. He says here in the, the end of the verse, respect what is right in the sight of all men. In other words, do them honor and give them respect that is due. This will help us to develop self-discipline as needed, how to respond to good. Proverbs 3 and verse 3, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. To show honor to others. To give them due respect. Verse 19, it really is just repeating the um, verses 14 and 17. The same idea. Never take your own revenge, beloved. 
Never take your own revenge. Notice Paul repeats this theme several times. It's, uh, notice it, it, it's, he says beloved. There's a, there's a tender affection there. And as Christians, you are to never place, you're never to take your own revenge. And the verse goes on, look at it. But leave room, actually allow for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Revenge has taken matters into your own hand. I don't want to wait for God to, to do this. I, I know how I can do this better. I, I'll, I, want, I need the satisfaction to know that I've taken revenge. Think, at, think about it. On the way home, on the, on the freeway, when somebody cuts you off, you might just be tempted to speed up and get in front of them, or somebody gets in front of you and slows down. All kinds of little ways that our flesh might be tempted to. Now, this verse is not saying never defend yourself, right? It's not saying that at all. I mean, we, many of us believe in the, the Second Amendment, the right to defend ourselves. Uh, you know, a robber breaks into your house or a home invasion of some sort. You men, I hope you do protect your family and rise up. That would be taking this verse out of context. Oh, I can't take my revenge and just let them come in. No, you defend yourself. And then it's another imperative, this loaded, all of these are commands, but even the give place to or it's leave room for is a command. Leave room for the wrath of God. And then verse 20, you have a quote from uh, Proverbs 25 there. um, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his Head. The idea is that your kindness, which is symbolized by hot coals, will bring shame on him by virtue of your love and your kindness. Peter puts it like this in chapter 2 and verse 15, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may what silence the ignorant. Ignorance of foolish men. And then, verse 18, this is, a, this is a tough one. If possible, now I'm glad he has the if possible, because it's not always possible. Most often it is. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I entitled the subpoint conspire to be at peace. In other words, plan. Do everything in your power to be at peace with all men. Our world lacks peace, doesn't it? I mean, look at the wars and rumors of wars and the fights and the crime, even the protests in our own country in the last several months, the BLM movement, the Antifa movement, and all of these. Our world lacks peace. Our cities lack peace. The violence and the murders in Chicago. How many murders will there be this weekend, right? Every weekend, there's so many. Our world lacks peace. But for us as believers, we are called to be peacemakers, right? One of the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. Hebrews 12, 14, we're to make every effort to live at peace with everyone. True peacemakers are those who follow the God of peace, Ephesians 6, 15, who seek peace with everyone here in this verse, as so much as it depends upon you. We proclaim the gospel of peace, right, to a lost and dying world. 
as we follow as disciples the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. If possible, sometimes there are circumstances where peace is impossible. We, we should do everything in our power to, right? But sometimes it's not possible. We must never sacrifice truth in order to maintain peace. Did you hear what I said? We don't ever to keep the peace, okay, well, I'll just believe this lie or, or fall into this sin or break this law. No, no, no. We don't do that. That's wrong. We never sacrifice truth to maintain peace. I mean, Jesus himself said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. There will be some divisions. You, there, there may be some circumstances where you can't be at peace in a certain situation. But if it depends on you, make every effort. Sometimes the other party's unwilling to make peace. And that's where you need to make sure to confess your sin if you've sinned against anyone. You should seek forgiveness from God and then seek forgiveness to the other person if you've offended a party. Understand that the source of fights and quarrels and these types of things are our own sinful lust and desires. These desires, James 4, that war within us oftentimes are the reason for conflicts. And in almost every conflict, both parties have blame involved. And, and don't fall into the world's way of, well, I apologize. Or I'm sorry. You can say, well, I'm really sorry too, <laughs> you know, but, but, Will you forgive me? Yes, I will forgive you. There's an exchange that has taken place now. You see the difference. Jesus says, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and first go be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. This is so important with Sunday worship. If you realize you're at odds with a brother or sister, do everything you can to make that right first. If we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper and you know you're not at peace, let the elements pass. Deal with that first. And when we do confess in the the sense of being at peace with all men, I, I like Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, an excellent book, but he has the seven A's of confession. Address everyone involved. Avoid words like if, but, maybe. You know, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. That's not, right? I I wish I could give examples for everyone. Admit specifically, I'm sorry for all the bad stuff I did. No, I'm sorry I got angry and whatever it was, right? You identify specifically. Then you apologize, you acknowledge the pain, you accept the consequences, you alter your behavior, and you ask forgiveness. And then almost as is just one of those pithy little statements that Paul does to summarize really the whole chapter. You have it there in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It returns back to the thought of verse 9. Let love be genuine, right? Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Remember we said, be glued to what is good. So, Those are sort of the bookends there, verse 9 and verse 21 of this section. Well, a couple concluding thoughts as we end. Do you love all men? Do you bless those that persecute you? 
If you struggle in doing good to all men, even enemies, then you need to study what grace really is. You need to remember that who are you that you would receive such bountiful blessings and love to have your sins forgiven? Who are you to hold a grudge when God's you know, forgiven the mountain of sin against you? I think of that parable in Matthew 18, the very end of it, right? Um, the man comes, the king is there, forgives him millions of dollars of debt, right? And what does he do? He goes out and finds his fellow slave, and it says, grabs him by the neck, and, and he owes him just a couple months of wages versus 50 years of wages, and demands what he wants, and word gets back to the king and says, you wicked slave, I forgave you so much. Who are you to hold that grudge? That is Pastor Kurt's largely paraphrased summary of that uh, section of Scripture. It's not in my notes. Um, we need to learn how to bless those that curse you. The story of Corey ten Boom, we're mostly, I think, everyone familiar, how they would hide Jews in their house in the Netherlands during the Holocaust, the Nazi Holocaust, right? And her sister Betsy, and in that book, The Hiding Place, Betsy, it comes out several times to where she's pitying them. She's pitying them. And, and you, you begin to ask yourself, is she pitying the Jews who are being pursued? Or pitying the persecutors, and it becomes evident. She's pitying the Nazis because of their blindness. Or how about a story during the American Revolution, a Baptist preacher by the name of Peter Miller from a small town in Pennsylvania. He happened to be an actual friend of George Washington. And in the same town, there was a man by the name of Matt Whitman, who was a very evil man, got trouble with the law, he often humiliated the pastor, and he was finally arrested for treason. Well, Pastor Miller walks 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for Mr. Whit Whitman's life. Washington said, No, Peter, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. The preacher cried out, My friend? He's the worst enemy I have! What? cried Washington. You walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts the matter in a whole different light. I'll grant the pardon. And he did. Pastor Peter Miller took Whitman back as a friend, no longer as an enemy. You see, in, in loving our enemies, there's going to be one of two responses, right? Um, much like that one where it was successful, the, 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 um, he brings him back as a friend. Or you think of that Anabaptist, Nobody saw, right? But God saw. Nobody saw. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't do these things. You might artificially be able to jump through this hoop or jump on one foot for a couple times and do one or two of these things, but it's not with the right heart. You need to come to Jesus Christ and admit that you're a sinner. You are cursed, actually. It says curse not, but you are cursed by God if you're outside of Christ. You will stand before God on that day of judgment naked and ashamed with nothing to represent yourself. Those of us in Christ will stand on that day naked and ashamed but covered with the blood of Christ, His righteousness. That's our plea. That's the only way we can stand before God. So if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to talk to one of us. Get right with God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this time in Your Word. 
We pray, O God, that you would help us to be mindful of this chapter, Romans 12, and that we would reflect on it much as we leave it behind for now. And someday, Lord willing, we'll, we'll go through the entire book of Romans. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a people that is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.